flow of time is always cruel. Its speed seems different for each person, but no one can change it. A thing that does not change with time is a memory of younger days. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers who know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and it's dangerous to go alone. But you're a loser, so you have to. I'm Jason, and I'll need you to play that song from the forest if you want anything from me. I'm Jackson, and I played 16 minutes of this game. I hate you. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is revered as one of the greatest games of all time and a blueprint for modern gaming. And TBM is here to tell you all about it. And now, let's get into it. Y'all, I love the Zelda series so much. <laughs> like, I have realized the, these last couple of weeks, digging into a bunch of these games, that there are very few things in gaming that are as satisfying as, like, getting that new item that's going to open up so many new things you can access. Or, uh, you know, finally finishing a dungeon where, you, like, it, it finally clicked what the big the puzzle piece that made it all fit together was like, there is just something about this series that I've really, there, there's nothing comparable out there, which is wild. Cause so many series have tried to, have tried to steal it. You can't, I don't even think it's stealing. I just feel like every single game ever has taken something from the legend of Zelda, whether it's, you know, musically, you know, the way that the open world and Ocarina of time specifically works. The color green. The idea of unlocking new items as you go that, you know, change the way you interact with the environment. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's wild too because like, you know, we're going to be honing in on Ocarina of Time, but I went back and played games that are 10 plus years older than that and even they were doing this like on such a new and unique level and it's it's wild to think that like how much of gaming we have now is thanks to this series specifically. I guess we should kind of start off with a, a bit of a recap on what we've played of the Zelda series before this episode and stuff, even though we've done this half a dozen other times, it feels like. Lightning so, round, go. List off the Zelda games you've played the most of. <laughs> Link Between Worlds, Breath of the Wild, Ocarina of Time. I don't think that one counts. Jason, go. Probably at least a little bit of all of them. But the, the earliest one I played was Zelda 2 on the Game Boy. I've also played a little bit of Link to the Past. I've never really got into the 2D games. Like, I've played them all. But the 3D games are where it's at for me. So, of course, I've played yeah. Ocarina of Time before in high school. So, nearly a decade ago. Uh, and then I've played all the games that came out since. But, yeah, that's about it. I'll just kind of hone in on the ones that I've actually finished, which would be <laughs> uh, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, uh, Minish Cap, Link's Awakening, specifically the remake, because I was really bad at the original. I don't know. I've played all of them at least a little bit, but it was like the GameCube era on is when I got like really into the series. And then lately I've gotten really into the games from well before that time. <laughs> So, I've also played yeah. Wind Waker, but I did not remember that one because it has been many, many years. So we've played a lot of Zelda. We're not like the aficionados that have, you know, played and beaten every single game in the series multiple times over. It's not like that. But 
we have some Zelda history on this podcast, which is good because I feel like a lot of other games we've talked about lately, we've come in totally blind other than the game we were talking about itself. <laughs> Resident yeah. Evil 4, Dead Space. Yeah. We had no idea what we were getting into with those, but let me tell you, Ocarina of Time, we all knew exactly what we were getting in for. Maybe Jackson. I think even I've been pretty surprised by this game, honestly, both in terms of enjoyment and in terms of the actual parts that make up this game. Uh, it's not a similar experience to what I've had to other Zelda games in some ways, which was kind of surprising. But uh, I guess we can kind of dig into what that looks like now. <laughs> so Ocarina of Time is the first of the 3D Zelda games. It really set a new course for the series and a whole lot of other games that would come after it. All of the regular Zelda stuff is there. But I do think the big thing here is you can go back and forth between Link's childhood and Link as, we keep saying adult Link, but I'm pretty sure he's like 17. That's the gist of it. That is what Ocarina of Time is. I kind of want to do this differently because I think that all three of us had very different experiences with this one. Jason, I want you to talk about your overall experience with this game first. <laughs> I guess one thing I should definitely start with is saying I've played the original, I, like I've played Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time before, and I don't think I beat the game, but I got pretty close. And that was the original Nintendo 64 version. This time, however, I decided to play the 3DS re-release that came out in like 2011, maybe? <laughs> 2010, something around there. Guys, I really enjoyed this one. <laughs> I enjoyed Ocarina of Time way more than I expected to, especially for, you know, a game that I knew most of the big narrative beats. But I will say, I think there was a lot of things that I didn't really catch on to. Probably because the way I was playing the game 10 years ago was on a really crappy laptop emulating the game on the way to school in the mornings because the bus ride was so long. <laughs> uh, you miss out on a lot of nuance when you play it that way. Sure. This time, like I was there, honed in on the game and what it was, and I loved it. I think for me, I was I kind of fall between uh, Jason and Jackson's opinions on this one. Spoilers for what Jackson's going to say. I think. Um, I don't dislike it if that's the idea you're getting. I do like this game. It was weird because the things I really enjoyed about this game were not the things I expected to enjoy. Because for me, when I play a Zelda game, it's all about the dungeons and the items and just the sense of progression as the game goes. Like you feel like you get these new powers and can access new places and do new things. Like that's where the joy of the game normally comes from with a Zelda game. Whereas... I think this game was much more about the world and the characters and the whole just vibe of seeing Hyrule before and after Ganondorf's takeover. Like, this game made me appreciate NPCs and town designs and the aesthetic of the dungeons a lot more than other games in the series has. And it's crazy to think that this is a game that came out in 1998 and there were still moments where I actually like stopped and thought like that looked really cool. Like this game made such good use of the hardware, made such good use of the map and the characters and how it all fit together. And there's something just really, really special about the vibe of this game. Like even as someone that didn't play it in 98 when it first came out, there's still something that's like very charming about the whole world here. And this version of Hyrule is definitely 
one of the most iconic for that, even though we've seen, you know, better looking versions or more fleshed out versions or versions with more people and buildings. Like this feels like this is what Hyrule should be, even though there are games that I think do it in a fuller, prettier way later. And that's really saying something for a game that released on Nintendo 64, which, you know, this was only a couple years after Mario 64, which was at the time revolutionary. And this game blows that out of the water in every ca- like every category. Yeah, from my yeah. understanding, this game's actually in the same engine as Mario 64. Mm. That would make sense. There's there's definitely some similarities you can see there. It's definitely but... developed by the same team. So yeah. yeah, whether it's the same engine or not, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap. This is the oldest game I think I've ever played. It's amazing to me how this game still holds up better than games from like two years ago. <laughs> it's insane to see how like a, like a lot of the stuff in this game is very simple, but it still just works a lot better than stuff from the past few years. And it's much more intriguing. And up until now, I, I never really expected much from like pre 2000 games because I'd never played any. <laughs> Up in, before this, the oldest game I'd played was, I guess, technically the first Halo, but I didn't play that until, like, the, whatever the Xbox 360 uh, port for it was called. I, I guess there's something to be said for, Jordan and I were already playing games, not when this game came out. I mean, maybe Jordan was, but. Sure. I, I mean, but... I was born the same year this game came out, so I wasn't exactly yeah. playing it at launch, but. I definitely spent a lot of time playing games that came out in the early 2000s. You know, right. like like maybe I wasn't really playing games a lot until I was like six or seven. But the games that I was playing then, for the most part, were PS2, Nintendo GameCube. I was playing games that came out in, you know, 2002, 2003 a lot. So like uh, going back to a game from 1998 isn't very difficult from that. I was born in the early 2000s. So by the time I was playing video games often, it was the Wii and the Xbox 360. (laughs) And even those were getting close to being phased into the PS4 and Xbox One. (laughs) So I just I grew up with an entirely different landscape to video games. Something about the early 2000s, man, those changed video games. Was it Y2K? (laughs) Yeah, that was exactly what happened. I think really the big difference is just the fact that Jason and I got to see the build up to a game like this and you know you didn't see it until we had already had not only sequels to this game but like entire console generation sequels and I certainly wouldn't put something like Twilight Princess over Ocarina of Time but I do think that there are quality of life things that have been introduced in game, you know, like the Wii era games that this game would have still benefited from and would be hard to get rid of. Like for me, the hardest adjustment of this game was the fact that there is no camera controls. And I haven't mm. played a game in years that didn't have any camera controls. So I actually you know. I surprisingly adjusted to the lack of camera controls very quickly it was morely just the fact that game design in the late 90s is a lot different than it is today sure i don't want to say that they expect you to be smarter but it feels like they expect more out of you they don't lay stuff out as much as games do today like even breath of the wild as crazy as some of the stuff in that game that you can do that the game literally never points you to at all, it's still a lot easier to figure out than stuff 
I think there's something to be said, and you know, this is this is probably going to sound a little weird, but hear me out. I don't think there's anything in Ocarina of Time that isn't in Breath of the Wild, and in some cases, even more confusingly like oriented and laid out in Breath of the Wild. I think the big thing is that Ocarina of Time, one, it is like a lot older, but like in Ocarina of Time, you are definitely expected to kind of just mess around and screw mm. with everything and just try to figure out how everything works. Yeah. And that's a big part of Breath of the Wild too. But the big difference being Ocarina of Time is it's laid out to you as more of just like a narrative focused linear game in a way that Breath of the Wild is laid out as just a big sandbox. Also, Breath of the Wild has infinite bombs. Doesn't matter very much. Because I feel like you get bombs everywhere. But I <laughs> yeah. never came close to running out of bombs. But what I'm saying is like every game back in 1998 was kind of sandboxy in that way. <laughs> Whereas like there's a lot of games that came out between 1998 and 2015 or 27. Whenever Breath of the Wild came out where there wasn't any reason for you to hit your sword against a wall. Because like. Why would you do that? But yeah. Ocarina of Time's like, you'll run into a guy and he's like, hey, some walls, they sound different when you hit them with your sword and you can blow those up. And that's not something you would even remotely think about in your average game. But Breath of the Wild is kind of a sandbox and it really it really wants you to kind of press into every nook and cranny and try to find something. I feel like Breath of the Wild's big difference, and I think part of the reason that it had such a huge appeal, even more so than the regular regular Legend of Zelda series, is the fact that there are so many ways to handle every problem in Breath of the Wild. And historically, Zelda games have had like one fixed solution to every problem. And that's just not how really many games work anymore but especially not how breath of the wild works like between your physics abilities and you know things like stasis into you know like to launch items that you're standing on or under or whatever there there are ways you could play breath of the wild where you don't solve a single puzzle with the obvious solution just because you're doing weird stuff like weird physicsy stuff to get around problems yeah ocarina of time has nothing comparable to that there just is a right way to solve every problem yeah i i feel like in ocarina of time it's generally laid out like you said there's only one solution for every puzzle but you're still supposed to kind of mess around with everything in your arsenal to figure out that solution i mean there were a lot of times where you know if i was in a room and i couldn't figure out what i was actively doing there i would just take out like every item in my inventory to see if there was something I could do with it. I think that, you know, as you get further into the game, there is an even heavier reliance on that, which I think is why I actually preferred the beginning of the game where it's easier and probably less, uh, there's less actual thought required to solving the puzzles, but it's more honed in on specific tools around the time you get them. Whereas the later dungeons, they go a little bit bolder and expect a little more out of you outside of just use the tool on the correct item or in the correct location. And I personally like the second half a lot more because the puzzles actually feel kind of rewarding when you solve them. Like the second half of the game doesn't have there. There's not any puzzles where like the whole puzzle is just put a bomb right here and you've solved it. Yeah, <laughs> the puzzles will be like. Use this tool and this tool 
to do this and that opens a special area <laughs> like i guess it's just the puzzles are more complex and interesting and it rewards thinking everything through and it's not to say that that's like inherently better or worse than what you know something like a breath of the wild does but it's very 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 different <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i mean yeah. i i think breath of the wild is incredible I think Ocarina of Time is incredible. I don't know how I would rank them against each other, but... I feel like it's so hard to put Breath of the Wild into the Zelda canon, I guess, just because it plays so fundamentally differently. Something I've learned, you know, the more of these games that I've played, because in the last couple weeks I've played mostly Ocarina of Time, but I've also played a good bit of Minish Cap, a good bit of Link Between Worlds, and I just started Link's Awakening again, just to sort of, you know, get the full spectrum and I, I've really learned that I actually prefer 2D Zelda games kind of universally to the 3D ones, but I can still see a lot more shared the shared DNA between those games, and I don't necessarily see that shared DNA <laughs> uh, more recently in the series, yeah. which is like totally fine. It's just it's really hard to compare them at this point. Yeah, it's definitely a hard comparison, and not to knock Breath of the Wild because I mean. It is a great game, but Breath of the Wild doesn't feel like a Zelda game. It doesn't kind of, it doesn't have the same kind of rewarding puzzles, or at least those puzzles are all optional, I guess mm -hmm. is more the thing. Right. Breath of the Wild took everything that I really liked about Zelda and then took it out of the main plot and put it somewhere else. And it was like, you can interact with those parts of the game whenever you want. But you're also going to have to kind of seek it out and find it on your own. Whereas like the main path, I feel like the only dungeon in Breath of the Wild that's even remotely difficult is the one where you have to like rotate. I think it's the lizard. You have to rotate like the different parts of it to get to all the different rooms. Oh, yeah. Ocarina of Time doesn't necessarily have that kind of puzzle in it. There is a very similar puzzle in the Forest Temple. Yeah. But like it has that kind of stuff in the main plot like every dungeon you go to has something like that there's a few puzzles right. that it, you know it requires making good use of all of your tools you get a new tool in the dungeon and that's kind of you can think of the dungeon as a tutorial for that tool like you learn how to use bombs in the second dungeon you learn how to use the boomerang in the third dungeon breath of the wild doesn't really have that same kind of thing because like i said like it gives you all the tools at the beginning and then it's just like go have fun which it is fun. I'll give them that. <laughs> I do have fun with it when it gives me like bombs and stasis and the ice thing and all that stuff. Yeah, but um, it's not necessarily the same kind of satisfying progression that you get in a Zelda game. I think that's what sure. I'm really trying to get at. I, I was really rambly there. <laughs> I've been really rambly this whole episode, I feel like. But I, I totally get what you mean, though. Like for me, what I really, really want out of Tears of the Kingdom is a you know the breath of the wild sandbox and the tools that are at your disposal in that game but still some of these more traditional zelda dungeons where it's one fixed route through like a big sprawling maze and you have to use your tools in different ways to progress to solve puzzles like like if we could marry those two formulas like the game would be incredible I just, uh, I don't know what that really looks like. Like, it's hard to imagine them working together in a way where they're not having to both make pretty significant sacrifices. I don't know how well that would hold up if it was like, you know, 30% Breath of the Wild and 70% Classic Zelda. But although I guess in a sense, that's kind of what Skyward Sword was. And 
it wasn't as good. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I still feel like I got that satisfying puzzle solving aspect oh, yeah, sure. from uh, Skyward Sword that just is kind of lacking in Breath of the Wild. And yeah, I mean, like yeah, I said, I... Breath of the Wild still has that stuff, but I feel like it's really bite-sized. You know, it's not like solve this puzzle, then solve this puzzle, then solve this puzzle. You go into a shrine and it's like, okay, here's one puzzle. <laughs> and then you spend maybe 10 minutes and then you find another shrine and you do another puzzle. Yeah. But they don't like feel like they build on each other in any significant way. I mean, there are some that do. Generally, if there are a bunch of shrines like really close to each other, they're kind of building on each other. But it's like every shrine in Breath of the Wild had to be accessible as if it was the first shrine you were going to in the game. Or, I guess, the fifth, because you do all the rune ones and those are mandatory. (laughs) I don't know. It kind of makes some of the puzzles feel a little bit stale. Maybe I would feel differently if I'd played more of the shrines in Breath of the Wild more recently. (laughs) You don't have that. It's all about the progression. That's the part of the Zelda games that I really like that is, in a lot of ways, missing from Breath of the Wild. There is no progression where you just get a new tool that changes the way you interact with the environment. It's why I like, you know, Metroidvania games so much, too. I mean, there's definitely a lot of similarities between the Zelda formula to Metroidvania, and they definitely have a lot of the same highlights, which is something I really like. The only thing you unlock in Breath of the Wild that changes the way you interact with the environment is Rivali's Gale. Uh, And the way that you interact (laughs) with the environment after that is you don't climb as much. (laughs) It, It actively remove or not not removes because you can only use it so many times and it has to charge up but like it actively lessens the amount of time you spend climbing in the game and does almost nothing else (laughs) which is kind of weird because i feel like climbing up a rock face in breath of the wild is you know one of the game's big puzzles like how are you gonna get around here stamina (laughs) management but this is not an episode about Breath of the Wild as much as I feel like it has to be. (laughs) Ocarina of Time, I think one of the things that I I think it really cemented more than any other game in the series is just the look of Link and Ganondorf and Hyrule itself. Because even when they totally abandoned that art style for a game like you know wind waker or whatever like i still feel like that was the first time that we got to see what link looked like and largely the character hasn't changed too much and i think that that really speaks volumes to how strong the design of this game was for a game you know that released 25 years ago yeah i mean it's kind of interesting because i mean this is the first game that ganondorf was in in every game prior it was just you know, the beast form or the beast god, whatever, Ganon. Yeah. Which, you know, is it's almost, I guess Ocarina of Time is Ganon's origin story, which makes Skyward Sword kind of weird. <laughs> the Zelda timeline is just such a mess. <laughs> it is interesting. Every game that has Ganondorf uh, may be excluding Tears of the Kingdom, which is coming up. From my understanding, it's the same Ganondorf. Right. Demise is not necessarily... Demise is the the boss from Skyward Sword. Um, Right. He's not necessarily the same guy as Ganon. He's, you know, like a resurrected form of him. The Ganondorf and the Ganon that's in, like, the original Zelda games, it just... It it straight up is the same guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, like, part of me is so fascinated by that side of this game, like, this game series, and... I feel like I want to know that connection between all the other games. There's another part of me that's just like, 
I can't invest the thought into something as convoluted as this game's timeline. Oh, we'll like, get into it later. I, I have always sort of looked at each each Zelda game as a self-contained thing from start to finish. I've I've never worried about, you know, the long-term implications or, you know, what happened before or what this game is setting up while I'm actively playing it. And uh, I think I think I've enjoyed the series more for seeing it that way. Something I want to kind of circle back on. So Jackson, I think you and I both uh, had some moments in this game where we were kind of frustrated by what the solution to things that weren't even necessarily puzzles, but just figuring out where to go next. How like would you imagine this game being modernized to being more accessible, to be more easily playable for you know people that are not from the Nintendo 64 era? In a simple way, make things more obvious, but also you can't just make things more obvious by having just a character tell you, hey, go here, do this. That's what a lot of games do now. and It's not as fun. But there's there's a certain balance that I feel like Ocarina of Time could hit in the modern age. Because the, the, the thing that makes it hardest for me to play the day is just it expects a different way of playing from the players than games do today. It, I feel like it, it, it expects a different thought process behind puzzles and things like that. So I feel like there's like a version of how it points things out better but without just being completely obvious to it. Can I say something that I think kind of run count, runs counter to what you're saying? In that I think a lot of the puzzles in this game are too obvious and you guys overthought them sometimes. Because like you you mentioned specifically like not knowing how to get into the Great Fairies Fountain at the top of Death Mountain. Because you got to that weird looking wall and you didn't know what to do with it. And I can I can tell you, in 1998, anybody that ran up to a, re- a weird wall in a game, first thought, blow it up. And I think that is, like, the simplest thought you could possibly have in that situation. And it's just, like, a lot of games now, It's if you run into a strange wall, it's like, okay, well, there's a switch around here somewhere. Or something like that. Also, that wall is completely different from the other explosive walls. The other ones are, like, cobbled together, while this one is, like an etched wall that looks like a ruby uh so that doesn't make me think i had to blow it up that makes me think this is either something i don't know how to get into or something i can't get in yet and then uh right across from that was a uh not sealed off entrance that went into the mountain and i just assumed oh i gotta go to death mountain so i gotta go in here uh, then I died several times because it's on fire in there. I think for me, the problems I had figuring out what to do next weren't ever really in dungeons, and they weren't so much puzzles as much as just sort of unusual ways of unlocking the paths to the next dungeon or to a character I need to speak to or something. One that comes to mind, and I guess for other people, they just didn't have this problem because they probably tried something sooner than I did. But there's a particular song that you can use to basically get a hint at any time. You contact this one character who will sort of give you a general idea of what your next goal should be. And that's really useful. But there's a point where you need to go and meet this character in person. And there's a person blocking you. The person that's blocking you is just like, sorry, you can't go talk to her unless you're a friend of hers. And since you can't talk, you can't just say the words, I am a friend of hers. So like... 
my mind immediately went to, well, I need to play this song. That way it'll be evidence to this person that I know her. So I played the song and the NPC was like, didn't interact at all. Like I played the song, it called this person, I talked to her and then like, she was just like, hey, come talk to me, which I knew I already knew I needed to do. So I was just like, well, that wasn't the solution because I played the song and it the guy didn't even like acknowledge that I played it. I went and just ran around the the area he was in for like five or ten more minutes. I couldn't find anything. So I went back and played the song again and then it worked. And like the problem was I needed to talk to her once and then I needed to play the song for this guy. When in my mind... I was doing both of those things and it just only counted one of them, which is like such a simple thing. And I totally get why other people would have just called her before that. But it held me up on something that just there in my mind, I would have never gotten to if I didn't just get frustrated and try it again. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's how that would have went for me, too. It's a little weird because sometimes when you need to play a song for stuff, you'll be like standing in a weird position and for some reason it won't count it. But like anytime you need to play a song for the story, I think the uh, the staff pops up. Right. Or when you pull out your ocarina, of course. You still have right. to do that yourself. Right. I had yeah. a lot of similar issues with the Scarecrow song. There's a song that you can learn uh, on Lake Hylia as a kid. Sorry, yeah. a song that you create as a kid on right. Lake Hylia. And what that does is if you play it in certain places, it'll summon a scarecrow that you can use your hookshot on. Uh, there were a lot of times in the game where I ran into an area and I was like, okay, I know I need to use the song. Navi would fly up to the spot where the scarecrow is going to appear. So like I, I knew what I needed to do and then I would play the song and nothing would happen. And this was on the 3DS version. I think it's just a little weird sometimes with recognizing where you're playing the songs. I think a lot of the problems I had were related to that specifically. There was also two other instances where this is just my brain is broken, I guess, but I, n- I never think to do this in games. But there just are situations where you need to talk to an NPC more than once. The way I think in video games, I would have I would have sooner like went and talked to every other NPC in the entire game again before I would just like talk to the same NPC twice in a row. It infuriates me every time. That's another thing that's fixed in the 3DS version where I think there's something with that game engine maybe where NPCs can't talk to you. You have to talk to them. So like there are cutscene triggers where it'll, you know, play a cutscene, but I I don't think there's a way for the game to just have someone talk to you without having a trigger like that. So in the 3DS version, you know, like when you needed to play the song for that guy, like I didn't have to talk to him. I just played the song and he talked to me. And like when you're leaving uh, the Great Deku Tree at the beginning, I might be misremembering here. I'm pretty sure, you know, he blocks you from leaving that area so he can complain and say you killed the Great Deku Tree. (laughs) I'm pretty sure in the 3DS version, he spoke to me. I didn't have to talk to him. Yeah, and I think the only point where it's really egregious is there's a point in like the third dungeon where there's an NPC that needs to help you just for you to solve the puzzle. But the first time you talk to the NPC, they're just like, sup? <laughs> and like, they do nothing. And then the second time you talk to them, they're like, okay, so I'm I'm going to do something that's going to help you solve the dungeon now. Like, I just don't know why that... I don't know why those two interactions weren't combined. But again, it probably is just a 
technical engine thing it's not like it's something where if they were to uh, like if they were to remake this game today for like you know 2023 consoles i am sure that that's not something that would happen or the game would make it much 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 more clear that you need to talk to them a second time but there's just little things like that that are of the time that that really frustrate me like it still makes me mad to this day in kingdom hearts that you have to talk to leon like four times in a row at one point (laughs) Like, I don't know why. I mean, I guess technically you could go talk to him like four different times between like every world, but I don't know why you would do that either. It's the same with Sid in that game and uh, Geppetto as well, where you just have to keep talking to them. It's like, you could have done all this in one button press, I promise. (laughs) There was also like a few little things here and there where I, I knew what the solution to a puzzle was and I did it, but I was just slightly off about my positioning or where I put an item or like I thought my boomerang hit the thing, but in reality it stopped like an inch before it. So it, there was just like little things that because it was a Nintendo 64 game, it wasn't super obvious what the problem was. I wish I had played the 3DS version a little bit for comparison because playing a Nintendo 64 game is always tough. But when you're compounding that with the fact that you're playing it with like controllers and hardware that were not made for that game, you know, there's little things I'm sure I miss because of like controller stuff or navigating the menus. You had to swap out items so much and, you know, you just can do that a little bit less in the 3DS version. It has been really frustrating going back and playing Link Between Worlds and Minish Cap (laughs) this last week. Because in those games, you can only have one item equipped at a time. Your sword and one other item. So you have to be going into your menu constantly. I think all the older Zelda games are like that. Like the original, even. Yeah. Link Between Worlds, you you always have your sword on B. And you Mm -hmm. can put a different item on why or something like that but like that's it like that's all you can change yeah it is it is kind of weird how that part has changed (laughs) i still really love minish cap and link between worlds though like i have loved going back to those games especially considering i hadn't played minish cap since like the game boy advance era and that game definitely has some weirdness like you can definitely see that was not nintendo that had their hands on the wheel but it still has a lot of the things that make other Zeldas really great. This game is weirdly dark sometimes, too, though. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to compare to something like Twilight Princess, where it's literally dark, but I I feel like Ocarina of Time has a lot of subtext that kind of makes its story a little depressing (laughs) and weird, because, like, Ocarina of Time, you know, it's pretty... I guess it's an interesting take on, like, a coming-of-age story. You really feel bad for Link in it, because, like, Link literally has his childhood stolen from him. Like, when he picks up the Master Sword in this game, and he gets transported seven years in the future, like, I don't know, I just think it's kind of wild. As you get further in the game, you find out Link is a war orphan, and, like, the Shadow Temple is pretty obviously, like, a dungeon uh, that the royal family was, like, torturing people in. Like, the ground and walls are covered in, like, skulls and blood. It's just, it's a lot of, like, interesting stuff that you would definitely not see in a newer Zelda game. They're not going to come out in Tears of the Kingdom and be like, oh, yeah, Link's parents died in a war. There's an emphasis on making this world as thorough as possible. That comes in the form of, you know, every NPC has pretty meaty amount of dialogue. Sometimes it's about 
nothing, but like everybody has a lot to say and the level design or like the, the design of like the towns and the buildings is all very intentional and feels very lived in. There's an authenticity you can kind of see in that that I don't know if games like much newer games like the Skyward Sword is a good example. Like I don't think Skyward Sword has that level of like things feeling as real, even though like it looks quote unquote more real. I, I know part of that's the fact that in Skyward Sword, basically everybody lives in this one town, <laughs> uh, this one town with eight houses and nine people. <laughs> and, you know, this game actually has like you get to take a glimpse at what each of the civilizations are like, like the humans versus the Zoras versus the Gorons. Versus, you know, it's it's pretty, pretty cool to see all of that fleshed out a little bit more. It's interesting you point out, you know, Skyward Sword, eight houses, nine people, strong military presence. <laughs> don't know who yeah. they're fighting but they're yeah. like yeah we need to have every able-bodied man in this in this village needs to be a knight they need to be ready to lay down their life for this village this village that's suspended miles in the air that no one ever comes to or leaves from yeah they don't even know there are <laughs> other people that aren't on the island i'm pretty sure yeah they don't even know that there's like land oh yeah that's true they think there's just the sky place what a game but they, yeah. they take up like a third of the entire island with a night academy in a dojo. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are they doing? Training. Let's actually talk about that timeline some, because I know Skyward Sword's a really good jumping off point. What I find funny about Skyward Sword is it's the earliest in the series. It is the earliest, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So like Skyward Sword is what kicks it off. But there is already so much that has happened before that point. Like, that game has entire civilizations that have been built up and fallen and built up and fallen before the game even kicks off. And this is still the earliest in the time the timeline we've ever gone. Like, by a decent margin, th this world has so much history in it before it ever even gets touched by the game itself. You know what's funny is that the history pre-Skyward uh, Sword is laid out in this game. Yeah. Because, like, it includes that part with the, the goddesses creating the land and creating Hylia, specifically. It's wild. You know what the next game in the timeline is, though? It's Minish Cap, right? Yeah. <sighs> Which, that feels really weird in general, because I would have thought Minish Cap was, like, way later. Like, way, way later. But I guess replaying it, I can see the big through line here is that they do have an established Hyrule, but it's just, like one really small town and it's clearly very new and still being built on and then like there are other games i have played that have much more established versions of of the world okay so it's skyward sword and then minish cap and then four sword that one doesn't count that was no one played that one no 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 you're <laughs> hey, you're thinking I of four swords adventures Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's at There's the end two? of one of the other timelines. <laughs> yeah. This is this is Four Swords, which is just a single player Legend of Zelda game where Link gets a sword that lets him split into four versions of himself. I'm thinking of like the weird co-op action game, which like did have some cool ideas because you could like play it individually on a Game Boy Advance and then play like multiplayer on a GameCube. You know what's funny? You're thinking of Triforce Heroes. <laughs> Dang it. Which one Which one is Four Swords Adventures? Was that the 3DS Four, one? But I think it was also... Four Swords was on the DS first. Okay. I believe. Four Swords Adventure, I mean. Four Swords Adventures was a GameCube game. So Four Swords was DS. Which one did I play on DS when I was seven years old? I mean, Four Swords Adventures got a remake on the on the DS. Or the 3DS. Okay, that, yeah, that was Maybe probably the DSi. It, 
That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So we okay. Have... No wait. Four Swords Adventures is the one that's played with the D- with the Game Boys. You're right. I'm sorry. Okay. Triforce okay. Heroes was also on the GameCube. I'm pretty sure. No, Triforce... it was for the 3DS. Okay. This yeah, is I was weird. about to say that's a new one. They keep making these multiplayer game ones, and it's like, who cares? Yeah. Does anyone really want to play a multiplayer Zelda game? Why does Link have green hair in Triforce Heroes? Because the other one has blue hair and the other one has red hair. Yeah, they got to even out the tree, though. We have Skyward Sword. We have Minish Cap. Four Swords. Four Swords. Four Swords. Just Four Swords. And then, yeah. And then it's Ocarina of Time, right? Yeah. And then Ocarina of Time is where things get funky. Because Ocarina of Time splits into three separate timelines at the end of it. Wow, it's that's crazy in general. Like the, the first one is if the hero gets defeated at any time. So Link just doesn't win and Ganondorf takes over. Uh, and what happens in that timeline is that Ganondorf still gets locked away by the sages. So it's the ending of this game basically still happens, except for the part where Link defeats Ganondorf. <laughs> So, like, the sages are still able to overpower him and defeat him, uh, but he takes the entire Triforce to the spirit realm, the sacred realm or whatever, which is where the Triforce is resting at the beginning of this game. Mm. Uh, and he turns that dimension, he turns it basically into, like, a dark dimension full of monsters. And that that timeline includes Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, which is the same Link as Link to the Past, right? the Oracle Games... Uh, Link Between Worlds, Triforce Heroes, and then the original two Legend of Zelda games. Uh, essentially, the 2D All games. All the 2D Zeldas, yeah. yeah. It's so <laughs> wild to me that the original game is the one that's in the the timeline where you lose. Specifically, it's like the seventh game in that timeline. Yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. And then like the other two timelines have way less in them, don't they? Yeah. They're like three or four each. They're both three. The other two timelines are actually what happens when you beat the game. At the end of the game, slight spoilers here for a game that is nearly 25 years old. At the end of the game, Link defeats Ganondorf, and then Zelda returns him to his childhood. So he gets to live out, you know, live out his life as it was supposed to happen, essentially. He basically just goes back in time, and uh, something you find out mid way through this game when you go to become adult link is that link and zelda collecting the three mystical stones or whatever at the beginning of the game was actually something ganondorf had already tried to do and failed he wasn't able to get any of them right so when link does get all three of them and then he goes to get the master sword and gets locked away in the sacred realm ganondorf is able to get the triforce and then it splits into three parts, uh, and he keeps the Triforce of Power, and then the other two parts go to Link and Zelda. So basically, like, the first half of this game, you're just a patsy for Ganondorf. You don't know it. Right. At the end of the game, you get sent back to your childhood, and you basically just tell Zelda what happened, and you're like, hey, let's not collect these stones. And then you don't, and then that's how the happy ending happens. They still maintained the timeline from the future where you defeated Ganondorf uh, and seal him away. So in that timeline, he just disappears at the end because he gets sent back in time to a different timeline. And that timeline just doesn't have a hero until Wind Waker. And there's like a giant flood and the world gets destroyed. Uh, And then Wind Waker, the Ganondorf in that game is actually the same Ganondorf from Ocarina of Time. Um, But then that game leads into Phantom Hourglass and then a long time passes. So it's not actually the same hero in Spirit Tracks. Phantom Hourglass and Wind Waker, they have the same hero. 
but Spirit Tracks is like his great grandson or something. You know, there's also the timeline where Ganondorf never rose to power at all, and Link Link just kind of lives out his life, uh, and that's where Majora's Mask takes place. Where the plot of that game is that it's kind of twofold, but basically Zelda's like, you should get the Ocarina of Time far away from here, so Ganondorf can't use it, or no one else could either. Uh, but also, more importantly, Link wants to find Navi because Navi just abandons him at the end of Ocarina of Time. No explanation given. And then that leads into Twilight Princess. And this is where Four Swords Adventures goes Uh, after Twilight Princess. It's so weird to think that like none of this is ever explicitly stated too. People had to figure this out from like weird little details. Nintendo released the Hyrule Historia, which was like a book, and it kind of laid out the timeline. But games have moved around since then, too. Like, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages came before Link's Awakening at one point. That might also be the same Link in those games, though. Which kind of gets weird because then that's two separate timelines as well, I'm pretty sure. I think the most interesting thing about each one of the timelines is that they all end up being Breath of the Wild. Such a confusing (laughs) concept in general. All things lead to Breath of the Wild. I imagined a scenario in Breath of the Wild where it's just like... It's the the three timelines just kind of all intersect at some point, but people from all three of the timelines are still around. One of them's just like, hey, remember when the world got destroyed? First dude's just like, yeah, I almost drowned. The second dude's just like, I got turned into a ghost. The third dude just has like a horrible thousand yard stare. Because <laughs> the world ends like five times in that timeline. <laughs> right. It's just funny to me that they like had to do this. Because there had to be an easier way, right? Like, there had to be a way these could all just fit in some order, and they'd be like, that's the order. But what went wrong? <laughs> like, I want to know I want to know what contradicts another thing that just had to throw the whole thing into the fan. You know, it, it probably is really little things, too. It's probably, like, something an NPC says offhanded in this game versus what this other one says in this game. The They explain that this map is laid out this way because of the flood, which means it had to be in that timeline. Like, <laughs> it's, it's probably things that were so easily avoidable, but when you're talking about a series that spans, you know, 30-plus years and has all kinds of crazy stuff going on in, you know, 15 different games. Well, it's actually interesting you say that, because... The ones when the in the universe with the giant flood, those are all obviously in the same universe because they all have the same art style. True. It gets Man. confusing how they decided like Four Swords Adventures was after Twilight Princess and not <laughs> after like A Link Between Worlds yeah. because the Four Sword was before the timeline split. <laughs> it's not like that just came up. It's just a weird timeline. It's wild. I don't think any other game company bother keeping track of the timeline where the hero loses. Right. <laughs> They're not even like he dies. They're just like, he didn't win. <laughs> he just did a bad job. <laughs> Anyways. Do better you know, next time. You'll get plenty of opportunities. There are some interesting things, you know, in Ocarina of Time that have been carried over to just about every game you can imagine. Uh, and I did want to take some time to talk about those uh, because there there's some wild ones that you wouldn't expect. Z-targeting and like a lock-on feature in general was basically invented for this game. And the way they came up with it, I can't remember who it was now. I should have written that down. One of the developers went to a a ninja show where a ninja was, or sorry, a samurai was fighting a bunch of ninjas. And at one point, a ninja throws a sickle and chain at the samurai and he had to spin around to keep him in view. (laughs) 
And that was the, at least the apocryphal impetus for the Z targeting and being able to lock on hmm. uh, because they wanted the sword play in this game to use like a lot of stuff from Chanbara, which I don't know super much about, but yeah. basically just the way that samurai sword fighting was depicted in films. Uh, hmm. And I think it kind of hits on that. There's some pretty satisfying yeah. fights. I guess neither of you have gotten to it, but there's a fight against Dark Link. And in that fight, or I guess it's the Shadow Link. I don't really know exactly, but he has like all the same items and stats as you. The number of heart containers that you have determines how many hearts he has and everything. Hmm. And it's a really satisfying fight with just like swords hitting shields constantly and like looking for that perfect opening moment. Yeah. It's probably the best fight in the game. They also invented the concept of the context sensitive button. That's why like there's so much uh, time spent early on in the game, especially where they're like, pay attention to what the button says when you press it. <laughs> right. It's like the first right. game to have that. Um, and huh. The reason they added that was because in Mario 64, they said it was confusing sometimes whether when you were looking at a sign, you would read it or you would jump. Oh. And they wanted to alleviate that. Right, that makes sense. Huh. Basically the first game to have like actually complex 3D fighting that wasn't like exclusively a fighting game because I, I think Tekken 1 predates this. Uh, Virtual Fighter definitely predates it. Sure. So like it wasn't the original 3D combat, but it was the first game that had like transitions between not fighting and fighting. And like handling that transition was a big thing that they had to figure out how to handle for this game. I mean, I feel like there's not been any major differences I mean, like, it definitely feels a lot better when you're fighting in, like, Skyward Sword than it does when sure. you're fighting in this game. But, like, there aren't there haven't been, like, insane changes made. It's still kind of the basics of, you know, you pick one enemy to kind of lock onto and you fight them. <laughs> uh, time travel puzzles, uh, because, like, there was time traveling games before that, but there wasn't, like, the same kind of thing where things you did as a kid would persist when you were an adult. That's mostly optional stuff. Sorry, Titanfall 2 invented time travel uh, in video <laughs> games. Yep, it was the first one to do it. True. There was also day-night cycles, which this game makes a really big deal about. Uh, because Probably too much of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's really annoying. Uh, when I was playing it earlier today, I was basically just trying to rush from the beginning of the game to the, the second or third dungeon, and I got out of the forest at the beginning of the game and I made a beeline straight for the castle and I got there right as the gate closed. <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't have the, the sun song at that point in the game. So right. just had to wait until morning. Yeah, uh, it is it is kind of frustrating until you get that song. It's also frustrating once you have that song that every time you play it, it restarts you from wherever you entered the map at. Yeah, uh, there it only does that in areas where time moves. Uh, so if you're in an area where time doesn't move on its own or sorry it's the other way around like if you're in an open area in the 3ds version i guess i don't i didn't test it in the nintendo 64 version so like if you play the sun song on hylia field on the 3ds it doesn't the time just moves around you does it do that on the nintendo 64 or did you ever try the song there I don't think I ever did the song there. There, It was kind of weird about when the day-night cycle was active and when it was not. But, I mean, still cool that that's where it got its start. And it's had a, you know, huge impact on a lot of games since then. And the, the last big thing I wrote down was just, like, 3D puzzles in general. Because there really aren't any puzzles in, like, Mario 64. And 3D <laughs> yeah. games weren't, like, a huge thing before that, you know, at all. So sure. some of the examples that I listed off of being, like, particularly interesting or unique uh, are in the Spirit Temple, you get the Mirror Shield 
which can reflect. There's a couple of puzzles that are all about reflecting light onto certain icons that you have to use the shield for. So it's all about your location and the location of the light source, which is kind of cool. And then the iron boots in the water temple, which that part might suck to play, but nothing like that had really been done at that point. Nothing like that has really been done since because it sucked, but you know, still worth mentioning. I thought I took notes for this one. That was really all. (laughs) Those were the end of my notes though. I'm done. Before we wrap up, uh, I wanted to, to read a couple other people's thoughts on this game. So I reached out to the, the Zelda subreddit and asked people to give their two sentence review of Ocarina of Time. You know, I think with Resident Evil 4, we saw some real contradictions. Like there were people being like even better version of a masterpiece and other people being like, you know, it's worse than the original in every way. No one really had any bad things to say about this one, believe it or not. That's crazy. We There was a lot of people referring to it as like revolutionary, like this one from uh, T.I.G., a revolutionary masterpiece that is outclassed by future entries, but holds up remarkably well. McComb84 said, invented the template that games are still ripping off to this day. The very definition of a 10 out of 10 game. I believe it is still the best reviewed game of all time. It is indeed the highest rated game on Metacritic. It's the only game that sits at a 99. The next highest is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 at 98. <laughs> I'm sure there are probably a lot of like 98s though. Only four. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, Grand Theft Auto 4 for the PS3, <laughs> Soul Calibur, and Grand Theft Auto 4 for the 360. <laughs> Glad those got separate. So Jackson, I guess before we go to our final thoughts, can we get that lightning round of the places that you got stuck playing this game? Oh, okay, (laughs) yeah. I have a short list that is 100% not everything. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, the door at Death Mountain, that was one I got stuck at. The stairs in the, whatever the second dungeon was called, there's some stairs in it, and I didn't know they were there because you had to explode them. Lay out the situations and the puzzles at least a little bit to describe where you got stuck. I just think this one's funny. With the stairs, there is a room where what to me appeared to just be a giant wall in the middle with a bunch of bombs around them. In the middle, the exact middle, there was one spot where there isn't a bomb. So my first thought was, oh, this is an aesthetic choice. Not that I was supposed to put a bomb there to blow them all up. No, it's especially funny when you add the fact that there is a bomb off to the side. I also got stuck with the uh, the Hylian shield because when you equip it as young Link, you just like hunker down. And I thought like, oh, this dude just tricked me into buying it. I'm, I can't actually use this yet. No, nah, it turns out that just blocks like almost all damage. I didn't even know that until Jason told me hours later. I had just been using a Deku shield for hours after spending 50 rupees on a shield. Uh, the entrance to Hyrule Castle, specifically the castle itself, not like the entire like area after the drawbridge, there were some guards that no matter what time of day I came would not move. I don't know if that was a bug or if I was just doing something wrong, because when I came back later, they were gone, and I just went with it. The ones outside the castle I got, uh, it was just the two at the beginning of the inside of the castle that got me. Uh, I also got stuck on the pot in the middle of Goron City. So you can light some torches, which makes a giant pot spin around. I spent like probably an hour trying to figure out how to get inside this thing or throw something in it to explode it. Uh, I never, I never got that finished. I don't know what was in there. 
you get a heart piece if you throw a bomb into it when the smiley face is facing you. You literally just get like a heart. That's it. No, a heart piece, not a heart. Like the one that increases your max health. I don't even know what you're talking about. This is in every Zelda game. The heart pieces. Yeah. You didn't find any heart pieces? I had not I have not found a single heart piece and I am in the third dungeon. I also got stuck with the bombs because you cannot pick them up immediately. You have to get a ring to be able to do it or a bracelet, one of the two, and then you can pick up bombs. So I spent like 30 minutes trying to figure out how to pick up bombs. And then it took me forever to realize that I can't throw the bombs when I'm standing still. And I thought I was just playing the game wrong for like two hours. I'm sure there's more, but those are the things I remember. I'm kind of confused on the not being able to throw them while standing still. How would it know which direction you want to throw it? But if you could if you could throw it while standing still, how would you just set it down? Different button, preferably. Yeah, yeah in Breath of the Wild, I just forget which is which, and then I drop a bomb at my feet and immediately explode it. I like it because you have to manually explode the bombs in that one. There, there were a lot of things that I definitely like attribute to just the fact that Jackson grew up with very different games. Because a lot of the stuff that we just think about differently because we played enough games that had sort of this type of logic. And games today have a very different type of logic. I think that's something I've learned with older games in general is you just have to do a lot more to meet them on their terms. And you don't really have to do that with as many newer games. I think it's just the language of games in general has kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely part of it. I I feel like, uh, you know, if you took someone from back then and had them play like a modern game, they would be just as confused in like the opposite way. Sure. And I feel like, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to look back at games that came out, you know, around now. And we're just like, how did anyone figure this out? Maybe 20 years from now. Who knows? (laughs) I can't wait to see what people think about games from today in 20 years. The same thing, because they're not going to change nearly as much, I suspect. (laughs) You know what? People were saying that back then. You know, I I did have one more note. When Ocarina of Time gameplay was originally shown uh, shown off before release, even Nintendo Power (laughs) didn't believe that it was running on actual hardware. Huh. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. So, like, even though, you know, we look at games now and we're like, I don't really see how it could get much more realistic than this. They might surprise us. I honestly don't see how you could really graphically improve on, like, you know, when I'm I'm playing, like, Red Dead Redemption. How are you going to improve on that? Specifically Red Dead Redemption 2. (laughs) It's like everything in that game looks so real. But, you know, like, 20 years from now, we might look at that and think it looks archaic, you know? Yeah, trash. Anyone could make this. But anyways... Let's do final thoughts. Oh, we Uh, haven't done that yet? Okay, I was going to do the pulling the plug thing. My final thoughts are this is a very, very good game, and it's very, very clear why so many games have been so influenced by it. And you can definitely see those influences in, like, all genres, which is wild. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if I played a fourth of this game, but I can see elements of, like, things that spawned from this game that are reasons that a lot of how games are today are the way they are. Just from the little bit I played. (laughs) I get the hype. I think this game in a lot of ways reinvigorated my love of the Legend of Zelda franchise. Playing Breath of the Wild again did that for me. Like I was saying kind of earlier, Breath of the Wild, it doesn't scratch the same it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's a different experience than just like sitting down and playing a Zelda game. A normal Zelda game. I like Breath of the Wild a lot, but I don't think anything about it is like the same energy as just any given dungeon of any given previous Zelda game. Yeah, as good as Breath of the Wild is, if I'm in the mood to play a Zelda game, 
I'm probably not going to play Breath of the Wild. I feel like I, if I'm in the mood to play Breath of the Wild, I'll play it. More specific. I really like the older Zelda format. I'd, I'd be excited for them to do something like swapping between the two formats. You know, like the, the next Zelda game after Tears of the Kingdom is a more kind of linear yeah traditional more linear uh dungeon based zelda game and then you know have another tears of the kingdom breath of the wild like game after that i guess i am making a lot of assumptions about tears of the kingdom might blow me away it's only three weeks away less than two weeks two weeks yesterday very excited to do that episode next week's episode is gonna be on the new star wars game jedi survivor it's pretty good but it also runs terribly. Yeah, it's pretty good if you love 15 frames a second. So is Ocarina of Time. Well, Jackson, you wanted to do the pulling the plug. But anyways, that's enough talk about Ocarina of Time and 15 other Legend of Zelda games. I think now it is time to pull the plug. See, this is why you can't set it up, because now I have to be like, Jackson... <laughs> What else have you been into lately? Jackson could just tee himself up. He could be like, this week I've been into... This week, I've been into something much different than usual. I love that you used my segue verbatim. (laughs) Usually, I have to really think about what my pulling the plug is going to be because I've done one of two things. I have played whatever game we're talking about or I've done nothing else. This week, however... Both. Yeah, um, but it's also a third thing. The other night when I sat down to play Ocarina of Time, I was going to put on Community in the background because I love rewatching the same show over and over again. I'll give you a pass for Community. But on the home screen of Netflix was a movie starring Brad Pitt that I never saw when it released because I was nine. Bullet Train. <laughs> I actually yeah. did watch that. It's actually, I really like Final Act's weird, but the rest pretty good. But no, I'm talking about World War Z. I'm going to start this by asking if you guys have seen World War Z. I saw the ads for it when they played, you know, 400 times a day. (laughs) Yeah. This was a pre-streaming world. You are not missing anything at all. World War Z is one of the most boring movies I have ever (laughs) seen. (laughs) I really expected Uh, you were going to have positive stuff to say about it. No, I have nothing positive to say about this movie. It is so boring and absolutely dull. You know how they hyped up in the trailers the whole thing where the zombies crawl over each other to climb up walls? Yeah, they do that once, don't they? They do that once. They crawl up the walls of Jerusalem and kill everyone, and Brad Pitt leaves in an airplane. I wonder if that's some kind of allegory. <laughs> this movie is wildly, not even wildly bad, just wildly boring. <laughs> there is, There was one scene at the beginning of the movie that I found intriguing. When the outbreak starts, some random dude gets bitten by a zombie, and the zombies in this are from advanced rabies, by the way. Um, And at that exact same time, Brad Pitt's daughter drops her talking stuffed animal that for some reason counts to exactly 12. I don't know why 12, other than the fact that it's also the exact amount of time that it takes a zombie to turn fully. Um... And I thought at that point, huh, that's kind of a cool way of showing just like how long it takes. But then like 30 minutes later, they're like, oh, yeah, I know this one guy that took like 10 minutes to turn. And then I'm like, why would you even set that up? What is the point if you're going to undo that immediately? (laughs) Part of the whole plot revolves around the fact that while traveling the world in search of 
a way to cure this. Brad Pitt notices, I don't even know his character's name. It's like Jerry or something, but I'm calling him, I'm just calling him Brad Pitt. He notices that some people, the zombies just ignore and will just walk around. And eventually that leads him to learn at a WHO lab that some random medicine just makes you not there for the zombies. And he doesn't know which one. So in a small lab, he just injects himself with one. The hospital is full of zombies. So he just kicks over a vending machine to distract them. Then he just walks right through a giant crowd of running zombies. He's just super smug about it. That would have been a really cool dark ending if he just injected himself with the zombie virus. Well, that's just rabies. Well, what I'm saying is like, if they have some kind of cure for it, generally those cures, the way they find out if they work is by having, you know, the thing that it's curing or whatever to test against. I also like that it's advanced rabies. Uh, because like there's a reason that viruses usually are lethal and they kill you. That would just mean that this rabies virus is advanced in a way where it's worse at its job because that yeah. would imply that it's like propagating in the body slower than regular rabies. So you're still able to stay alive even though you have it. It was a good use of two hours. Like <laughs> it was a good use of two hours watching this incredibly dull and boring movie. I don't remember a single character's name in this movie at all. It is a movie that I don't recommend seeing unless you have two hours to kill and you're fine with doing absolutely nothing. But anyways, Jason, what's something you've been into? This week, I had some free time because I beat Ocarina of Time a week ago at this point. I had plenty of time this week to do whatever I wanted to do, and I spent most of that time playing Majora's Mask, but I spent the rest of it playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, let me tell you, pretty good game. Never heard of it. It's kind of hard to talk about. It's a really pretty game. I really enjoy the story. Uh, but the big reason I've been playing it this week is more just the vibes. It's fun to be a cowboy and just like ride your horse through the countryside and go fishing. I hate doing those things in real life. Well, I've never been horseback riding. I guess I might like that. But anyway, fishing, I don't like it in real life. But set me down with Final Fantasy 15 and I will fish. Set me down with Red Dead Redemption 2. You know I'm going to fish because it's got a fish guide thing where you got to collect all the fishes and get the best the best size. Final Fantasy 15 also has that, but it's not real fish. So there's something additional here that gets added. But <laughs> I've just liked playing the game to run around being a cowboy and having fun. I've done a few of the story missions while I've been playing, but I'm in that like open world part uh, around the time you get to like the third camp and I'm just having a good old time. And I would highly recommend anyone else, you know, that wants to just have a good time, check out Red Dead Redemption 2. I fired my gun three times. I remember playing it when it released, and I I never beat the campaign. I, I still have it downloaded at all times in hopes that one day I'll finally do it. I was only in like chapter two, like six, and I was just running around most of the time. I had 27% of the game completed. <laughs> I think that might just be the story. Yeah, this is a this game's got like a there's ton a lot of, stuff of content. In it. Yeah, and there are like a lot of side missions, and I don't think any of that stuff counts towards the completion. I could be wrong. I can definitely tell you for one hundred percent fact: if you're in chapter two, you have not played twenty seven percent of the game. You probably haven't even spent enough time playing the game to have twenty seven percent of the fish. I should specify: I said I had only fired my gun like three times. That was at people. I, I've done a bit of hunting, too. I think it's it's held up really well. I mean, it's only a few years old. I mean, it is, at this point, it's like five, five years, years old. old. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't feel as bad saying a five-year-old game is still still holds up, even if a game like that it seems weird. <laughs> I mean, it's still like a completely different console generation, and it's not even like it was like at the very end of its console generation. Like it's there's been a lot that has that has come out since then. We still haven't got a uh, next-gen version of that. It doesn't even need to look better or run better. I just want it to load better. If you have it installed on an SSD, it loads a bit better. I think I might have mentioned it, but I, I bought uh, like a nice two terabyte M.2 drive for my PlayStation. And uh, it's helped with loading times in a lot of games by a lot. But that's really all I'd say about Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, Jordan, what have you been up to? I'll keep mine short as well because no one... I'm not going to sell anyone on this. <laughs> John Mulaney is one of my favorite comedians out there. I think he consistently knocks it out of the park with his specials. His new special, Baby J, is no exception. It is incredibly funny. It gets into some very real and serious things going on in his life. Uh, he doesn't shy away from the fact that he was the bad guy in a lot of these stories. It definitely has a darker tone than most of his stuff. But it is still very, very in line with his sense of humor and the way that he, the, the stage presence that he always has. And I just, I just really love his comedy. And like, I think this one's really great as well. I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear your reviews or your thoughts on some upcoming games, namely Star Wars Jedi Survivor and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Those are going to be our next two episodes. Love to hear what you think about those, and we would love to read it on the episode if you if do send in some, some thoughts. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, we're trying to stream every weekend now. We are... Doing a little better about that. <laughs> uh, and we are in the middle of the Year of the Kong, where we are streaming every Donkey Kong Country game from Donkey Kong Country all the way up through Tropical Freeze. Approaching the halfway point, at least in terms of number of games completed. <laughs> but we still have a long way to go, and it's taken us all of four months to get this far. <laughs> the thing so. about it is I'm pretty sure... The halfway point, if you count like all the Donkey Kong Country games and you include Donkey Kong 64 in that. I think that even if you played all of the country games first, the midway point would still be somewhere like at least a quarter into Donkey Kong 64. Yeah, it's a big game. <laughs> and we're getting close to it. You know, it's probably only going to take us like two more streams to finish Donkey Kong Country 3, assuming I don't suddenly become very, very bad at this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you can check us out twitch.tv slash totally biased media we would love to see you on there so for the totally biased media podcast i'm jordan Walkup. i'm jason simmons and i'm jackson Walkup. and you just felt the bias thank you everyone goodbye goodbye <laughs>